Welcome to the Modern Masculinity Podcast, where we delve into the depths of what it means to be a man in today's world, and we explore the real-life challenges and triumphs that you and I face every single day. My name is Hector Santi Esteban, and I come with no answers, only questions for some of the most wise, insightful, and grounded men that I know. So get settled in. You're listening to Modern Masculinity. Fellas, what's going on? I hope this episode finds you well. And as always, I hope it leaves you better than when it found you. And, and I'm honored and humbled to be on your journey. And I said at the beginning of the show that we were going to bring in men and we were going to keep it exclusive to men. Exclusive is an interesting word. But as we had these conversations, we're coming up on almost 50 conversations right now. And I think that it would be doing you guys a disservice to not be bringing in a different perspective or a perspective that can really uh, help to, to shape your future and, and help more than anything. And today is a, definitely an interview and a conversation that's going to give you some help. It's with Nick Selena Watson. She is a, she's just a badass. She has her own podcast. She has her own kind of marketing job. And she's also an influencer and kind of dating coach or dating advice person. And, and she has a lot of great stuff to say because what I appreciate about her is that she has a great perspective on how the feminine plays in with the masculine and how that can still work in today's world. And, and um, we go all over the place. And it's, it's for guys who are, are out there in the, the dating scene, but also, also not, even if you're not, just having a perspective on, on what's going on out there and how things have changed, I think will be valuable for you. So enough of me, y'all. Appreciate you as always being in here. Let's get into today's episode with Nick Selena. Nick Selena, welcome to the Modern Masculinity Podcast. Thank you for being here. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. We were joking before that, you know, I have followed along your jet setting ways for a little while. And I don't remember how the universe collided us, but I remember stumbling upon you and seeing your podcast and seeing your show and just thinking like, wow, what a great resource and compliment and thing that you're doing for the world. So I just wanted to honor and affirm you for that before we did anything else. Yeah. Thank you. It's actually nice to hear that because often it's a thankless job, right? And you sure. kind of, you get like, oh, I'm tired. It's my spare time. And then when I hear people actually appreciate it, it gives me what I need to continue. Well, you did an episode recently on like dating apps and what profiles might make a guy swipe left or swipe right. And I thought that it was so great because I know that there are so many guys out there and I can't give them that advice. Jesus Christ, I'm the one who needs, you know, I'm the one on the other side. So it's great that someone is out there putting it out there. In honor of tradition and in honor of my ADHD, mm. I'd love to know some sort of challenge or struggle that you're going through. Usually, we talk about it as a man or a, a provider or a husband or whatever, like from that perspective, but you're on the other okay. side. And I'd love to know what kind of struggles or challenges you are experiencing with regards to men and kind of what they're out there doing or the mistakes that they're making. I mean, are you ready? Let's go. Yeah, let's do it. I mean, if we're going on my big personal challenge, right? It's the fact that I was engaged and then I was cheated on. And I had to call off the engagement to move out my home. He took the dog and basically I was 34, 
turning 35, feeling like I got to start again. I have to start everything again. And I think this is something that men biologically don't have. They don't have that worry about carrying kids. And so I'm like, I don't have children. I want children. We had a wedding plan. We had a baby plan. We had all these plans. And so to suddenly have that like ripped away from you and it's something that's so beyond your control, honestly, I just, I spiraled. I never in a million years thought I would be 34, back to square one, back on the dating apps, back out at bars trying to meet people. And I was so damaged from all of the betrayal and lies that dating again was really hard because guys would come up to me and they'll be like yeah you know like I do this I do that and I'm sitting there thinking that's a lie that's a lie that's a lie and you know you're on red flag high alert which is not a healthy way to date so yeah that was the most recent one that's like absolutely not me for six and I feel like if we're looking at men in their 30s that re-entering the dating pool I am absolutely on the other side in the same space. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing that because sheesh, I know yeah. I've talked a lot on the show about how challenging my marriage and relationship has been at times and it's gotten, it's so painful. Right. And then what I, I don't know, I don't want to talk about me. Talk to me about you and what you did. There's been moments in our relationship where I've been at a bar with a buddy crying my eyes out, trying not to make a scene because things are so you know, they feel so devastating, right? And it's kind mm -hmm. of hard to move from that moment. So I'm curious, like, for you, what was that like? Like, how did you turn a corner? Did you turn the corner? What does that look like um, now? It's been 18 months since I found out. I'm not going to say since I left him because it's since I found out. We were still living together for a couple of months after that. He tried to get me back again eight months later. There hasn't been like a strong 18 months clean cut. I got a lot of email abuse after, but it's been 18 months since I found out. So that's how I decided. But I was immediately back in therapy because I just knew the damage this was going to cause. And I basically had to wade my way through some of the darkest days of my life. And I feel now in modern society, being heartbroken is almost like unacceptable or looked at as weakness. And I used to say to people like, I'm broken. He's broken me. I have no other words for it. He loved bombed me, gave me the world, you know, made me feel like I was his everything, proposed, big, all that. And then all these bombs went off and I found out he's a monster, right? But I had no idea. So my brain is trying to process the difference between the man I was marrying versus the reality. And by all accounts, the cheating wasn't one-off. And I think he likes hookers as well. And self-confessed alcoholic, which I didn't know till I moved in with him. So it was almost like I was trying to, my brain's going, what was that all about? Who was I sleeping next to? So you're dealing with that part. Then you're dealing with the betrayal part. Then you're dealing with the complete lying of who they are. Then you're dealing with being single again. And then I'm going, oh, my God, I'm going to grow old and never have kids. So all that panic and worry. And also just finding a new home, changing your routine, having to start again. So it's been a very, very long, painful process. And a lot of people along the journey 
would be very much like, why are you still talking about him? Why are you still heartbroken? Like, you know he's an idiot. Am I'm not allowed to swear, am I? <laughs> no, you can swear away. Yeah. Like, hey, he's a fucking cunt. <laughs> yeah. The guy's a cock, right? Is the absolute worst person I've ever met. And yet I couldn't let it go emotionally. So everyone is a bit like, come on now, six months, come on now, it's eight months. Like there should be a timeline on your heartbroken healing, which is absolutely bollocks. Because especially if you have been in some sort of narcissistically abusive space, if you have been betrayed or any kind of bad stuff that leads to a breakup, that takes a long time. So I had to basically dig my heels in and sit through the store and accept that some days I'm going to want to cry and some days I'm going to want to rage. The hardest part was getting him out of my brain because I'd wake up and ruminate. And I wonder what he's doing now. And I bet he has another girlfriend. And what if I bump into him? And I was having anxiety attacks and the lot. And it also just completely knocked my self-esteem, you know? Like, why was I not good enough? Why would you need someone else? There's a lot to unpack. And I just did the work. And it ain't fun. It is very lonely space to be in when you're healing from something like that. Yes. And I'm... Sorry, I'm oversharing. It's what I do. No, no, I just, I don't want to, I'm the worst at dealing with like emotions. My, like people always like, why are you laughing? Like, that's not funny. I'm like, well, sometimes I don't know what else to do, but to laugh because there's literally, there's nothing else to do. And so I don't want to minimize it. I guess what I would try and do is for our listeners, so that your story is not in vain, what lesson is there that a guy can take away from that? Because I would imagine that most of the guys that are listening to this show are probably the nice guys, right? I suffered that for most of my life. Like, you know, I'm talking like 99% of my life. And only recently am I kind of waking up to the challenges of that. But I would imagine that there's so many who are like, well, I would never do something like that. And perhaps they wouldn't, but perhaps, I, I don't know, like, how do you speak to a guy who's maybe sitting there and being like, well, that guy's an asshole for sure. Mm. He's a fucking cunt. But that guy's also not coming and swooping you off your feet either. You know, I know there's so many guys that I know that are my age, they're in their thirties and mid thirties that are successful and whatever. And they're still making all these complaints about women. So is there a way to make that not in vain? You know, is there something yeah. you can take from it? Because obviously you can be like, well, like one, you are attracted to an arsehole and you don't look at the nice men that are around. And there is, I'm sure there's an element of that. But firstly, he obviously was a very good manipulator. So he pitched himself as the very confident, loyal, nice man. But I think a lot of the genuine nice men are intimidated to come and talk to me because loads of people that you have cues lining up. And I'm like, Show me the queue. Show me the first one in the queue. And if I go out to bars, yeah, of course, you know, I do get checked out. But I think a lot of the nice men would assume because of how I look, I'm a certain person and I might publicly rebuff them or I might be like, oh, she clearly won't be single. So they don't put themselves out, which is a real crying shame because I absolutely encourage. You know, I am always the first. If I look at someone in a bar and I think they're really hot, I will always go up to them. What's the worst that can happen? You get rejected. Okay. And, like, you know, it doesn't matter. But 
I do think a lot of the nice guys don't approach me and people and friends like me. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I'm quite intimidating. (laughs) I would not disagree. And I don't mean that as a negative. You know, one of the reasons that I wanted you to also to come on is because I think that you speak to this. There's something happening in the, I don't know if it's in the water or if it's in the algorithms or whatever, but there's this thing that's happening with men and women and gender roles, whatever it is, where women are going out and they're getting their bag and they're going out and they're succeeding. And you can look at the college education rates. And I think there's some stat that says in a few years, it's going to be like 60, 40 female to men. And the wage gap is true. Like there's all these things that are happening and men don't know how to deal with it. And they're looking at it and they're threatened in a way that points at their insecurities. And I think that they're either running with their tails between their legs, like you're saying, and not approaching in so many different ways, or they're lashing out in toxic and mm-hmm. you know, they're just going super, super the other way because they feel like they're losing this control. And perhaps perhaps they are, but I think it's kind of a natural evolution, if you will. But anyways, that was a reason that I wanted you to speak, come on as well, because I think that you have a nice balance where you are that person who's, you're independent, you're strong, you have your business, you've got to show, you know, you're doing your own thing, but you also, I don't know if I'm over speaking, but you also tend to exhibit some sort of, I don't want to call it traditional perspective, but a traditional understanding or at least an understanding of reality. I don't know. You seem to have a very balanced view as opposed to some perspectives out there that don't seem to take in to account the value that a man can provide, right? I think there's so many women out there that, you know, my daughter listens to a song and it drives me crazy, but it says, I don't need a man, I need a puppy. For sure. Like, I think that that's okay, but I think also we're here to provide and support and like, mm-hmm. there's both. And I think you seem to represent that in a good way. I'm, I'm touched, thank way. you. <laughs> Am I nice often in you. that regard? No. Not at all. And actually, when we were pre-chatting about this show, one of the things that I thought was really poignant to make is there is this misconception with the modern masculinity and relationship thing where you have a successful woman. Therefore, what can I bring to the table? And I think, especially in this god-awful influencer life that we live in, where it's almost like all these women want is money and things, like buy her a Chanel and she's great, and if you can't, or she earns more than you, then what good are you? And it's all utter bollocks, right? Um, Firstly, let me say I've had two very, very rich boyfriends in my life. One was the cheating fiancé, one was in my past. They weren't good relationships. I was treated as a replaceable commodity. So these women going, I want to marry rich, I want to marry rich, I'm always like, I know what cost, honey. Okay, you're drenched in labels, you have a lovely penthouse like what I did, and you're broken inside, and you're being cheated on, and you're not seen as a person, you're seen as a trophy, you're not seen as a partner. I'm not saying all rich men are like this, but it feels very heavily skewed now to providing stuff. And actually, what we women really, really want is a man to provide safety, emotional safety, emotional security, loyalty, and like dependency. So I don't give a flying fuck about my shoe or my bag that were bought for me. If I could swap all that to have someone that's like, I would never cheat on you and I just adore you, great. 
And I don't think that emasculates a man either because it's actually very empowering to be a good human and to be someone that we can rely on. I don't understand this need to be the one who's providing. Of course, I don't want a bum around the house who's like, you pay the rent. I'm going to play on my PlayStation all day. But I love you. Good. You know, it seems to be such an extreme opinion these days where it's like, you've got to provide. No, we want the traditional providing of relying on you, of being the best friend that we call, of someone that can actually sit with us and empathise with a space or say, do you know what? You've had a stressful day at work. I planned this. And it doesn't have to be something expensive. I'm very much in the era of I still love love letters. I still love cute little homemade gifts. But I think the perception I probably give off and a lot of women is that, like, all I want is stuff. And that's such a shame. I mean, do you think I'm right? Maybe I'm stereotyping too much. No, it's a challenge that... I think a lot of guys who are, especially who are re-entering the dating market, aren't quite necessarily prepared for. Eight years ago, I've been married or with my wife now for eight years. And so it's been like a long, I feel a long time. And like the thoughts of getting back into it just seems like a totally different ballgame. Like, oh, like it is. A totally like... Uh-huh. That alone was so scary. So what have you learned about that? Because you mentioned you're in your mid-30s and went through that. So is there any advice or any thoughts or blind spots we might be able to help the guys with? Yeah. Firstly, it is different. That we have to accept it. It's a different ball game. It's not just how we think. It just is. Social media, Instagram has created this world we live in and it's different it's changed and I don't think for the better I think for the worse everything is so quick to consume and that includes humans so if I go on one date with you and you're fucking me off or annoying me I can just swipe and I'll find someone else or I can just slide into Instagram and find someone else and then if you fancy someone or say you're dating for a bit that person may be like, oh, I think the grass is greener. Everyone seems to think the grass is always bloody greener at the moment. And it's perpetuated by this consumption all the time of all these fucking options, right? It's everywhere. So it's like, I was thinking about that, actually. It was another thing before we come on the show. I was like, has social media made cheating worse, made the options worse, made the I want something different worse? Or has it just made it more publicly available? Well, we always like this. We just didn't have such a footprint online, you know? Like back in the day where people behaving the same, but no one could be like, mm, your last scene online was 2 a.m. because WhatsApp didn't exist, you know? Or you're in the story on the background on this TikTok, on this Instagram, it didn't exist. So is it that it's just made it more prevalent? I don't know, but I certainly feel, especially when I'm dating and the way men treat me, is like, like there's another 20 Nixalinas down the road. So I can't really be bothered to put in full effort on this one because like whatever there's less courting like I have to make most of the effort I'll have to be like should we book this restaurant should we do this like I'm like what the fuck since when did that happen it's almost like they'll turn up if they want or if they haven't got anything else better that comes along 
as always, it feels like there's this deep dating FOMO where everyone's so bloody scared of settling down for the fear of missing out on someone who might be marginally better looking, marginally more successful or more Instagram followers. Right. Yeah, I know you're right. And it's unfortunate that I think social media just puts the grass in front of people much more frequently than before. I mean, I grew up, I don't know if it made it to your part of the world, but there was this show called Mari that we would watch. And it was this, they would do paternity tests was their thing that they would do all the time. And so they would bring on people and they would be like, you are the father or like, you are not the father. And so like, for me, you know, I'm watching this as some eight-year-old, nine-year-old. And frankly, it's traumatizing me because it is like, I mean, this past year, like, just kind of showed me, like, how real those things are. And kind of you're seeing, like, the fallout that comes from it. Like, it really, it hurts. It changed, like, not only that, like, there's, like, practical life changes and people have to move. Like, there's just so much stuff that comes from it. So I'm curious where you think is important to go from here. Do we talk about, like, the infidelity thing? I don't know if that's a more prevalent thing now than it was before. And is that worth talking about? Or should we spend the last half of it talking about how we might change things or how a guy mm. might better approach a better perspective that they might have? What do you think is more relevant or valuable to the conversation? I'd say for your listeners, this the latter. Let's change their perspective somehow. So I love your show. And I think a good thing to do is just go listen to her show. You're eight seasons in. And so I love it too, because the episodes are like short and bite-sized. And, and if a guy is really wanting to make some changes, they could listen to a few episodes and like really, oh, yeah. really change some things. So are there any like big no-brainers, low-hanging fruit, good things to start with that you think might help a guy as they're kind of better approaching this dating world, if you will? Firstly, if they've gone through shit, make sure they heal. Lots of men jump straight in like, I need a new girl. That will sort me out. And, oh, shock, it doesn't. I have, a, once again, a big stereotype, but I feel like after breakups, women go off. We process the emotions because that's almost how society has brought the two up. Like, we'll cry and grieve and talk out and drink wine and guys are like oh yeah i'm gonna go bang someone i'm gonna find someone else and they don't ever deal with what's going on and of course men are cheated on as well men are dropped and discarded and you know like bombshells suddenly their girlfriend's gone it happens to us all so if they're coming from a space of something damaging they need to heal don't think going finding someone new is going to fix that what's the fallout from that like some guys are probably saying like yeah i can do both like i'll heal you know what <laughs> i'll heal while you know from the inside if you will <laughs> like you know while inside because i know people that that's exactly what happened you know like relationships fell apart and then they're out there playing around and so is there some fallout can you speak to like you know some of the pitfalls or why like a guy might want to take the time and I don't know if he needs to drink some wine or if he needs to, you know, cry it out or whatever, but like. To be fair, I think it's because often we allow loneliness to choose our new partner. And I don't think that is in any shape or form. Of course it's not, it's not the right thing. 
you almost have to sit and be so damn fucking lonely and alone to make peace with being alone, to make peace with who you are, to then objectively evaluate like, okay, who's going to make my life better? They're not filling a hole anymore. They're coming in and adding. And you can't get there if that hole is just constantly filled with someone new, someone new, someone new, someone new. Well, I think, and I can probably maybe speak for myself, men have been filling that hole since they were 10 years old, 11, 12. You know, they've literally been in that cycle since middle school, since adolescence. And they're coming to it from a place of codependency, right? And I think it seems like one of the first times where that codependency, you know, it was called toxic, but it's all of a sudden, like people are looking at it as like, well, maybe you have your own work to deal with, right? Like, and maybe I wasn't old enough to see those relationships, but I never really felt like in my parents' generations when they were going through things was that kind of topic of conversation in terms of healing your own bullshit. It was always like, let's figure out how we can fix these things together and let's do stuff together when oftentimes that may not be helpful and it kind of requires people to heal themselves. I mean, if we're being totally honest, I definitely came from a place of codependency when I met my ex. I was only single for six months and I'd been out of a five-year relationship. And after six months of being single, I thought I was healed. Absolutely was not. So missed all the red flags, saw them all, swept them under the carpet. Why? Because he validated me. He made me feel special. He made me feel everything that that codependency version of me needed. And these toxic people are very, very good at that. So I think... If we want to avoid more potential toxic relationships, to learn to be alone when you're dating is, and I don't want everyone to (laughs) sit home alone and be like, this is what I need to do. But there's certainly a level of healing for single men out there that would definitely help them date healthier. But that's if they're coming from a space of a prior horrible, traumatic breakup, for example. You know, there's lots of guys out there might be like, look, I've not been through any of that, and I'm still really struggling today. You know, like so. so I'm going to assume that most guys have not done any healing. I would assume that the two percent, five percent, have done any amount of healing. Like in the general guy sphere, right? That's not ever talked about. We don't ever talk about, oh yeah, you know, our neighbor touched us when we were whatever, or we didn't ever talk about how to deal with that. Nor have the tools either. And I feel like mm-hmm. now is just when things like meditation and breath work and, you know, people are going into the darkness for days and it's like all these new tools to heal are coming about. And so perhaps it's the first opportunity that men have to do that. I think that's important to tell guys to, because I felt like I was coming at it from a rather judgmental place where I'm like, you guys haven't healed yourself and, you know, God damn it, you're spreading your trauma onto everybody else. And No, it's, I don't know if you think it's their fault. I think it's their fault if they don't at a stage in their life, you know, late 20s, early 30s, get on the train. I had no idea I had all this shit in my 20s. I didn't. I think you get to a point of healing where you go, oh, I have had enough. What is this about? Something you see a pattern or like not doing, and you just go, I don't want to do this anymore. But that's really where you get to it. Even like, meditation, breath work, I fucking struggle with that. 
I don't want guys to be like, you know, I have to go into this like yogi mode, move to Bali. You don't. You can just perhaps try some therapy or perhaps join online support groups that are free. Whatever it is, you know, that's going on, that's been on in your past experiences, I do think they should always be dealt with. And also it's always ongoing. It's not like you wake up one day and go, oh, I dealt with that. Done. Right. Where's my wife? (laughs) You know, it's an ongoing process. And perhaps it's, perhaps it's not. Are more women being comfortable with that, right? I know there are a lot of men that think that, you know, women don't want to see that side of it, right? Or that they can't show that kind of vulnerability. Are we past that? Or is there still something to that fear? I mean, look, if I went on a first day and a guy started crying to me after a couple of pints, I'd be like, you know, (laughs) there's a time and a place. But if he's like, he's got his shit together and like down the line, we're having an open conversation and he's like, yeah, I've been through this and I've been through this. I would totally appreciate that. But it's the same for us. If I went on a first day and I was like, I've been cheating on and I've been doing therapy for 18 months, my guy would be like, oh, got to go. Right? <laughs> Time and place. But it certainly is definitely, I think, you can be vulnerable without overexposing yourself. You can be vulnerable and open, you know, without yeah. There's just always this fear of being emasculated. I feel like I'm always on the verge of like, they feel emasculated if this, they feel emasculated if this. The, the male pride and ego is, it does my fucking head in. Really does. It's such a big thing. Like, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. It's, like, it's like, okay. I, I, as, you're, as you're saying that, I'm like, there's so many things that, you know, we get upset about that. You guys are probably slamming your fit your hand into your forehead. And similarly, right. It's just like a perspective thing, right. You know, we all, uh, yeah, it's, you're absolutely right. <laughs> um, so, so what else on top of the healing? Like, I think that that's important. And if most of the guys mm-hmm. who are listening to the show, I think they're open to that. Beyond that, once they're in that process, once yeah. they work through it, are there things that might help them better navigate this world? Yeah, totally accept the possibility of rejection. We all get rejected, all of us, and it's okay. And I feel like either guys avoid the possibility of rejection, so don't go for something that actually might be incredible, or if they are rejected, it becomes a very angry, rageful experience, right? And then almost like, I hate women rampage because one girl somewhere along the line refused them. I think except that rejection is part and parcel of the date in life. It just is. And also accept and embrace the possibility that you might not find the person you're looking for for a while. And you will have to go on dates that don't float your boat or you go on dates and you meet someone and then nothing like their online profile which is so scary and a whole other thing where you're just like how much photoshop did you put on your photos so it's a long goddamn process but it's for women as well like we are in the same camp we go on that date to meet these guys with the same hope the same worries, the same fears. We're probably as nervous as they are. Unless, of course, the guys are just 
going out to get sex. In which case, if that's how they're dating, I'd rather they were just honest about it. Like, it ain't after anything. Like, you're really hot. I'm in town for a week or... I'm definitely not after a relationship, just want to have fun. I hate that when people put down their dating apps, though, like, I only want to have fun, and then I get really annoyed, but then actually I kind of respect the honesty because I'd rather that than they pretend to want something. So if that's the case, if you are like, I want to date, but honestly it's just for the physical part and have someone to go to dinner with or whatever, just be honest. I always say this, men will probably get laid so much more if they were honest, like if a guy is like, look, it's going to be one night, like I think you're really hot, then I'm sitting there, I'll probably add a few beers because I'm a beer drinker and I'll probably be like, yeah, you're hot too. This is fun. Let's go. Whereas if they pretend that they want more or it's a relationship thing, I'm less inclined to be that spontaneous or then they ghost me after and I'm like, what? And then it all gets really messy. It's if you were just honest in the first place, we could have avoided all of this. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And honest about just honest. I think that's a great, if you just leave the bar there, I think that's important. And it just harkens back to this nice guy thing, which so many of these nice guys suffer from not speaking their truth. And I think that that's actually dishonest. Um, I want to definitely make it clear you can be a nice guy and still be a dominant person, still be confident, still, like, there's this image of this nice guy being this weak, insecure loser versus all these macho men that are toxic but, like, get all the women. It's so not the narrative. Like, nice guys can be attractive, can be successful. Nice guys can be fun and charming but their core their morals is coming from a good place yeah i wanted to get into this before but we were on a great tangent and that's this concept of a frame i had never heard of this idea until recently and maybe it's something that's been around but they talk about this idea of creating a frame for a woman and the first time i heard it i was like wow that's very objectifying for a woman but as i listened and learned what they're talking about this perspective and going through my own things I feel like that's really what men can provide is I see men or not men, but masculinity, the energy itself as the furnace, you know, the hard exterior furnace and the feminine energy, the fire. And with both, you can create something magical, right? But with one or the other, if it's just a furnace or it's just iron, it's ugly and it's useless. If it's just fire, it burns out really quickly, right? And with both, that's what sustains it. And so... I think that you really are hearkening something important there. The show is Can't Keep My Mouth Shut. I love the show. It's so fun. It's so fantastic. And I'm curious, are there favorite episodes that people either mention to you or that you think about often or reference often? Like I said, eight seasons in. So there's quite an archive to choose from. But if guys were to get started, is there a place to start or is there a fun story or something that's you know, noteworthy that might get them excited to go listen? You know what? I always look at my stats to see like what kind of content my listeners want. Always in the top is does penis size really matter? And I'm like, of course. Of course that one is always, always trending at the top. So that one and then... 
20 signs he's a fuck boy always does really well but I'm sure that's for my girls but I think a lot of guys listen into stuff like that to be like how do I make sure I'm not a fuck boy or not perceived as one and lasting in bed like how long to last in bed always is basically a lot of sex stuff does really well for me personally I prefer more of the relationship dating ones like how to get over being cheated on or how to know when that relationship is the one, you know, when are you, do you know if you're ready or there's actually seven seasons, not eight, there's seven, yeah, seven seasons um, of episodes and there's like 20, 25 per season. So there's, God, there's so many to go through, but a lot of the sex stuff, even ones like talking about threesomes, of course that does well. Naturally. Naturally. Sure. Nick Selena, this was exactly what I hoped it would be. And I'm recording this on Saturday night. It's now 1045 at, I don't know, okay, almost that. And she's recording this on a Sunday out in Singapore. And so it was a special occasion and a special episode. I want to thank all of you fellas and ladies, if you guys made it here for sticking with us today. We appreciate that. We would love a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you know a guy who is in need of this, send it to him. And I always say they're probably not going to reach out and ask for it. So just send it to him anyways and, and let him know if you're thinking about him. And you never know what people are going through and the universe might be doing some great work through you. So uh, we appreciate, as always, being a part of the tribe. We'll see you on the next one. Later, y'all.